Hello everyone and welcome to Black, White and In Color. I am your host, Shanoa Alamu. I love discussing topics that get people talking and sharing stories from everyday people. My opinions have been featured on CNN and Huffington Post. So please join me for this week's episode of Black, White and In Color. Okay, as usual, I like to dive right in. And so today I have a very special guest, um, Mrs. Cassandra Austin McDonald. Cassandra was born and raised in Springfield, Illinois, host of Grow Through It podcast, author of Unclothed, Memoir of a Naked Soul, motivational speaker and life coach, and founder and CEO of Be Pretty Inside Incorporated. Welcome, uh, Cassandra. (laughs) Thank you, Shanova. I wanted to talk to you today about um, an aspect of your life. Um, You know, we are living in what's considered Trump's America. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing that continues to spring up or come up as a result of being in Trump's America is the issue of race, racism, and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And you are a biracial woman. Right. So you have a white mother. Yes. And an African-American father, a black father. Yes. And so I really want to dive into what what that's like. Mm -hmm. You know, I have... You know, of course, met and befriended, you know, biracial people over the years. And one thing that I've noticed that they is that they always feel torn as to, you know, what parent they're supposed to to acknowledge the most Mm -hmm. or, you know, who they're supposed to be and whatnot. So what is your I guess your earliest memory of just kind of feeling um, that struggle or that um unrest inside Mm -hmm. with being biracial I would say the first memory that I can recall is when I was in grade school and I was taking a standardized test Mm -hmm. and I believe the options were I don't know if they said black or african-american one of the two right and white or caucasian and then the list went on Mm -hmm. but I didn't see mixed or biracial or all of these other terms that are typically used to identify my background Mm -hmm. and that was the moment I started being confused and started experiencing this identity crisis okay so you knew you were mixed yes oh I mean yeah you go home and it's like (laughs) okay (laughs) clearly I have you know two different um parents and then my dad's side was predominantly here in Springfield and then my mom's side lived in Iowa and Indiana and so when they would visit I mean I'm seeing two different cultures everything about them is different okay and the reason why I I said it that way or asked it that way is because you know we tend to say oh well kids don't see color oh that's you know they're innocent they don't see color they don't know you know color is taught or racism is taught Mm -hmm. or you know You know, I think maybe that awareness may have come from home. Um, Out of there's three of us between my parents. Uh, I'm the oldest of three girls, Mm -hmm. and I'm the one that had the kinkiest, nappiest hair. Okay. And so that may have been my start to awareness of something's different. You know, my hair was different than my mom's hair. 
you know. So mm-hmm. noticing differences like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the conflict within myself came up for me until that moment where I had to put down somewhere what am I and well, I you asked. had to define. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I and I was, you know, looking at that and I couldn't even answer it. And I remember going home and I asked my mom, what do I put down? I don't know what to put down. She said, just put your black. And then Hmm. since then, that's when the confusion really started because there was no conversation. She didn't sit down and really explain anything. She just said, put your black. And so from then on, it was... What's that one lady, Rachel, said, I identify as black. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Oh, God. But I mean, I, I'm half black, so I can say that. Uh-huh. Look right. <laughs> right. Right. But um, so that's, that's when it started. Really? This so conflict. that didn't. So why the conflict? Because quite a few um, biracial celebrities, you know, you have Lenny Kravitz, mm-hmm. you have Halle Berry, and they seem to be. Even Obama, Mm -hmm. you know, is considered black and they seem to be settled in that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, of course, they're adults and who knows what they went through as children. But now they do seem to be okay with identifying as black without worrying about, I guess, the white part of their DNA. So why? I guess my question is, why was that not um, something that brought you peace? Or something that, you know, helped you to be settled. Like, oh, okay. Mom says I'm black, so I'm black. Because the influences I got from my mom's side. Okay. Um, Okay. I always spoke proper. Okay. Um, And growing up around my dad's side and growing up in the hood areas, that was frowned upon. I was always told I was talking white. Um, okay. I like to do things that people think is white. I like mm-hmm. to go hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a plant-based diet. Things that people identify with as being white, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I started to feel rejected by my black side. Because I still had this other influence from my mom's side mm-hmm. that impacted who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. So it's like externally... I look black when I go out into the world. I'm treated like I'm black when I go to a job. I'm treated no differently than uh, many of my other black coworkers. Mm -hmm. But then on the inside, I have this other personality that caused me to experience rejection from some of my black peers and family members. I see. Okay. So then when did it, I guess, when, I guess, when did you get to a point where, you were like, okay, I need to accept both parts. I need to mm-hmm. make some sense out of this or something to that degree. I would say when I started my healing journey, not it'll be nine years next month. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went on this quest to discover who I was and heal old wounds. And um, that's when I decided I was going to accept all of me because I was always going through this war within myself mm-hmm. because of how other people treated me. I see. And so I would say nine years ago is when I went on this quest to just figure out who is Cassandra and mm-hmm. accept all that she is. Okay. So can you kind of dig deeper into what you needed to be healed from or just a bit of, of the trauma um, that you experienced? Sure. So by the time I was nine years old, I had been physically, sexually, and emotionally abused by family members on my dad's side of the family. 
Um, my dad was an abusive alcoholic, so he beat on me and my mom. And I was sexually molested by older cousins on my dad's side. So I had the trauma came from that side of the family. Okay. Um, the black side. Yes. Wow. However, I received the emotional neglect from my mom. Um, there was a disconnect. Okay. I didn't get that nurturing care um, that a lot of women I see get with their mothers. That mm-hmm. they have this bond. I don't feel connected to my mother. I feel like she doesn't get me. She doesn't understand me. Even to this day? Oh, or you yes. just Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've accepted that, you know, mm-hmm. because obviously now I'm grown. I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. I have a child of my own. Mm-hmm. But... Um, That was my foundation, you know. It wasn't just being biracial, but I had all this trauma and abuse and neglect from both sides. Mm -hmm. And so it really created this unstable foundation for me about who I was. So did that cause you to hate black people? I was curious. And it caused me to, when I went to college, I minored in Black American Studies. Okay. I wanted to be educated. I wanted to know because I was starting to see a difference. And and it's funny because now it makes me wonder, was this my destiny anyway? Uh Because I was always curious as a little kid. Mm -hmm. I noticed uh, my dad's side of the family, very poor, grew up in poverty, grew up on the the east side of town here in Springfield, which you know, the east side's considered the, the ghetto. The right, hood. right. My mom's side, however, all master's degrees, own property, um, considered wealth with what that mm. looks like. And uh-huh. so I saw two different um, livelihoods growing up. And I became curious. And I wanted to know, why did one live better than the other? Wow. Um, and there was things about my dad's side that I admired, I loved. My dad used to be a musician. He was creative. There was people on my dad's side that were creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was seeing things that that sparked my curiosity. And I was like, but why? Why are they like this? Mm-hmm. So destitute, so broken. What uh-huh. happened? And mm-hmm. that's when I minored in Black American Studies in college. And I just educated myself and that's got to really the root of it. Wow. That's, you know, so instead of hating and like painting a bitter brush so to speak (laughs) across a whole group of people or even just the black side of your family you Mm -hmm. turn that into a curiosity to just find out what's going on absolutely so is there anything you found out about your family members in particular i mean because i know the the grand scheme of things is racism white supremacy you know um what i experienced was generational and that's what I believe led me on my healing journey, ultimately, was I said, well, I want the curse to stop with me. Wow. And I was like, if this is a generational curse, mm-hmm. I want it to stop with me. And I think that's what caused me to go on that healing journey nine years ago, because I didn't want to pass down these burdens to my son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also didn't want to leave the rest of my life broken and miserable and confused and all these other things that I was experiencing as a young adult. I mm-hmm. wanted to figure out how can I live a happy, fulfilling, peaceful life. And mm-hmm. so, But why you, though? I mean, because you say you're the oldest of three. Yeah. So what do you think um, attributes to you being 
the one. I mean, I don't know how your sisters live or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming it's different mm-hmm. that the choices you've made to mm-hmm. to heal and to get on the other side as we you know you and I talk. <laughs> you know, I'm assuming that maybe your parents or your mom, your your sisters did not. So, what is it about you? You think um, that just even gave you the mindset to even want to do that. And the reason I'm asking is because there are so many people who are still stuck, Mm -hmm. who still aren't even aware that they are continuing, you know, toxic behavior, Mm -hmm. holding on to toxic mindsets and whatnot. So uh, I know you mentioned that you were curious, but, you know, most children are curious. That's that's (laughs) the first thought I had that. And I'm you know, I know it sounds, some people probably be like, well, that sounds cliche, but I just feel like that was what I was born to do. Okay. Um, I say that because my sister, my youngest sister, um, often reminds me of how I was as a little girl. And oh, she okay. remembers me like being an advocate for my mom when my dad was being um, abusive or even me advocating for us to my mom about being home and being a mother to her daughters. She remembers mm-hmm. me marching around the house talking about I'm going to be somebody. I'm not going to stay stuck here. Like I Oh wow. I mean I was I was young saying these things. Mm-hmm. And so it's like something on the inside of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it could be that you know if you read about like firstborns and the oh, fr- yeah. whole whole birth order thing, you know, there is something about being a firstborn where you were just a natural leader and mm-hmm. you know, go-getter and mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um Wow, so even back then, in a sense, she was that fuel for you, you know, to be yeah. different, to be who you really are. Yeah, I think I think my mission in life became I did not want to be anything like my mom. And I don't mean that in a mean, derogatory way because my mom is the hardest working person I know. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a director of a company now, and mm-hmm. um, she actually manages... Popeyes in all of Illinois and some in oh, Iowa. Really? And she's okay. like, so I mean, she's she's always been a hard worker, but I have always had this belief. I don't know why I've always had this belief, but I always had this belief. Why can't I have it all? Why can't I be the hardworking, successful mother, wife who is connected to her children and mm-hmm. has a good relationship with them, who mm-hmm. has a healthy marriage, who takes care of herself? Because all I saw growing up was this person who gave all their life to work as a getaway and escape mm, and okay. lost themselves. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be that. Mm-hmm. And so I just started doing the opposite of whatever I saw growing up. So did you ever have any, okay, now that you realize the reasons behind seeing the the two different lifestyles, mm-hmm. you know, as you mentioned, so did you ever sit down and, and talk to your father yes. about some dreams and visions that he may have had and why they didn't come to fruition or just have that talk with him? Yeah, I've had... Uh, why was he abusive? Why was he so, you know, the, angry? The first time we actually had a talk... Uh, and he's still alive, right? Yep. Okay. He's still okay. alive. The first time we actually had a talk where we were actually having a conversation, because when I was a little girl, I used to write my dad letters. 
and tell him I was praying for him and oh, for him wow. to stop drinking and uh-huh. all these things. Mm-hmm. But the first time we actually had a dialogue between the two of us was when the day I got out of the hospital after I survived a near fatal suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did was went straight over to him because when I was in the hospital, I realized that I had buried those childhood wounds with a degree and a career and titles of being a mom and and all of these surface things that we tend to do and Mm -hmm. get lost in. Mm -hmm. And I realized I never went back and healed the little girl. And so the first thing I did when I got discharged from the hospital is I went to my parents' house. Um, My mom wasn't there. My dad was. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him. I actually just talked I actually just shared this on um, an episode. Okay. What I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> it made me think of okay. that. Um, and he gave me the most heartfelt, genuine apology still to this day I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, it's probably going to like make me tear up. Yeah. He was very empathetic and genuine. Um, he told me he was an alcoholic. Um And it just, it felt genuine and he gave me a hug and I cried on his chest and it was like the little girl got what she needed in Mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the start to the healing and the reparation. And he said that he wanted to do whatever he needed to do to fix this. And from my understanding, um, shortly thereafter, he he had stopped drinking. Oh, wow. Um, Did he apologize? Did he? Yeah own up to oh yeah the abuse he and... did and i that's when i confessed let me take that back i don't like the word confess because i didn't do anything wrong right that's when i shared with him that i had been sexually molested and it was a secret i kept for 20 years oh never told goodness. anyone uh-huh. um he got tearful in that moment and he was de- you could tell he was obviously devastated and he mm-hmm. was very apologetic and he said you know he's like I'm so sorry you had to go through that alone I'm so sorry you felt like you couldn't tell anybody and I felt like he meant it I didn't feel like he was just saying it because it to sounded pacify good you. yes yeah. I, I could feel it in my soul that he meant it and um you know that's what I needed to hear I just mm-hmm. needed him to hear me mm-hmm. say what I had to say mm-hmm. and to be sorry for what he did and he mm-hmm. was um, so you did need that apology that, you know, and it's funny cause I told myself I didn't, uh-huh. I told myself before I went, I kind of hyped myself up. Right. Like, I'm just going to go and, the and say what I, I got to say. Right. And I say <laughs> that because, you know, you have some people that saying, you know, whether you get an apology or not, you know, mm-hmm. get through it or, you know, mm-hmm. forgive anyway. But for you, you really needed that apology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I try to convince myself I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, when I was on my way there, I had made up in my mind I was going to forgive him anyway. Okay. Because okay. by that time, I realized that the forgiveness was for me. Mm-hmm. I needed it. I needed to set myself free. Mm-hmm. Um, I It never crossed my mind that he would own up to anything or that he would apologize. That, that expectation wasn't even there. Gotcha. I had okay. already decided that... I just need to say what I have to say to liberate myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That him apologizing was a bonus. Mm-hmm. So Wow. Well, tell me about some of the things that you started um, to do in order to heal yourself. Um, yeah, if you can just kind of share with our listening audience some, some things sure. that you did. So while I was in the hospital, and this was I started, a suicide attempt. Yes. Okay. Um, 
So when I was in the hospital, I was taken to the emergency room because I overdosed on a bottle of Celexa, which is an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a grand mal seizure and they admitted me into the ICU unit, intensive care unit. And then from there, I was admitted to the psychiatric ward. And wow. while I was there is when I started, I didn't, felt, I didn't feel like I belonged there when I was in the psych ward. I just felt like something was wrong with me, but I didn't know what, but I didn't feel like I belonged there. Mm -hmm. And so I just started asking myself the deeper questions. Why am I here? What led me here? Who am I? Why did I do this? Why did I try to take my life? What's going on? And then that's when I kind of came to the realization, you have to heal, Cassandra. You have to face your past and heal, deal with it. Because I had been building my life about, let's make it look good mm, on the outside. Right. That's what I was doing. Go okay. to college, get educated, start your career, be a great mother, mm-hmm. and look like you got it all together. But I never went and did the inner work to free myself from those wounds I experienced. Mm-hmm. So when I was in the hospital, I started asking myself those tough questions. And then I started journaling. And that's actually where Unclothed was birthed. It wasn't even um, with the purpose of writing a book. I just wanted to free myself. And the only thing I knew to do was to write it out. Wow. So even then, (laughs) I'm noticing a trend here that even then there was just something in you that just would not settle for the circumstances in which you found yourself. No. And I just think that is so powerful. I just really do because, again, there are so many people who don't even have, who are just in ignorance. And, and, you know, ignorance meaning just not knowing. Right. You know, but for you, it just sounds like there was always this knowing that yeah. you were made for something greater, that yeah. you're here for a greater purpose, and that no matter what you were going through at the time, it's like that always sprung up. Yeah. You know, I think that's awesome. You know, uh, maybe that's I, I, I think it maybe has to. It has to be a God thing, right? right. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Right. You know? Right. Um, I've always had a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for some people, they may be like, what you mean? I mean, I remember when I was a little girl crying out to God. And I wonder if it's because of those experiences I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like somebody out there has to hear me. And that's that was the foundation for my faith being cultivated. Okay. And I think maybe that's why I have always hurdled over so many obstacles, um, defeated so many odds, um, not became a statistic mm-hmm. because I had this, this deep rooted faith in a higher power than myself and mm-hmm. always felt like somebody out there is watching over me and listening to me. And I really think this is a God thing. I, and it wasn't I don't connected even like, to I a say, church or a pastor or a particular no, denomination. It's my relationship exactly. with God. And mm-hmm. I feel like, I can't take credit for my life without acknowledging that I've had help along the way. Wow. Some divine help. It, yes. <laughs> supernatural. Right. Honey. <laughs> so <laughs> stuff I've been through. <laughs> right. So um, I don't know if we've mentioned it in the interview so far, but looking at you and, and you know, she's in my home, guys. 
we're doing this right in my apartment. And she mentioned that she had come back um, from the gym. Yeah. Um, so I would assume that fitness and health mm-hmm. is very important to you. Mm-hmm. So was that a big factor in your healing journey from the trauma and things from your childhood? Oh, like, how did absolutely. you even get interested in health and fitness? So I started... Okay, as a little girl, I was a tomboy. Okay. Just straight up tomboy. Uh I loved being outside playing with the boys. Mm -hmm. Um, Jumping off of roofs, racing, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So I think that's when it started, being active. Okay. Um, Then as I got a little bit older into my preteen years, I had this interest in track. And it kind of took off from there. Track really saved my life. Okay. Um, How so? I had a really, really great mentor, Coach McBride at Southeast. He took me up under his wings, I want to say when I was in the seventh grade. And granted, he was a high school track coach, but Mm -hmm. he saw something in me all the way back then. And he used to pick me up from the junior high I was going to, me Mm -hmm. and another um, track friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And he would take us to Southeast and we would train with the high school girls. That's how fast we were. And... What he did was he let me see the talent that I have. And I poured all I had into that. Um, I was 13 years old flying to Seattle, Washington to run in Uh the Junior Olympic USA track and field meets. Okay. Um, So, I mean, I was competing at a high level at a young age and it was my escape. Mm -hmm. And then I went on from there to go to SIU in Carbondale. Um, which is a division one school, didn't get a scholarship there, just showed up to track practice one day and told the coach, I used to run track. Can I try out? Made the team, got offered a scholarship. Wow. So (laughs) there's that go get them. There's that go get them. So I think the fitness has always been there. Mm -hmm. Um, I just had to be okay with it. In my adult years, and this is now going back to this inner war within mm-hmm. myself because mm-hmm. I had friends who would say things like in my young adult years, like, oh, you're doing what those white folks do, running all the time. Because when I started my healing journey, I started running half marathons and full marathons and distance running, and I was losing a tremendous amount of weight. Mm-hmm. And I was always hearing these comments about, oh, you're going to look too thin and Mm -hmm. you out there running with those white folks and all that. But I had never felt better. And so I felt conflicted at the time. My self-esteem wasn't really built up. I hadn't really built up the courage yet to just do what felt good to me because I was in the midst of this healing journey. Mm -hmm. And so I, looking back, I think I self-sabotaged. Okay. And I stopped the health and fitness and um, because you put didn't the want weight to be back on. Of being white or I something. wanted to be accepted. Mm. I wanted to be accepted because I still hadn't accepted me yet. Okay. Um. So now where I'm at in my journey, I've gotten back into health and fitness because mm-hmm. that's what works for me. I'm passionate about it. I enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it keeps depression at bay. It just mm-hmm. helps me cope with life. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not going to stop doing this just because you don't accept it. Exactly. You know, I'm, I continue to be amazed at thing at things that people are willing to give up mm-hmm. just to be accepted, yeah. you know, just to fit in. Yeah. And um and I'm like where do we, you know, just thinking about again just another thread in your life how 
you know, you were always trying to be white when you were doing something positive. Yes. And I'm like, where do you think that comes from where eating right, for example, mm-hmm. uh, speaking proper English, mm-hmm. um, taking care of your body in that regard, you know, where do you think the message comes from that that's what white people do? Like, as if that's not, that's not what black people do. I think it's not knowing who they are. Uh, because we as a people, if you want to go back to before slavery even mm-hmm. started, we come from a land where there's natural produce all over the place. Right. We carried baskets and buckets to feed mm-hmm. our families. We and walked. so mm-hmm. I think it's not knowing who you are. Now, mm-hmm. I do believe that people are starting to get reconnected to who they are to the core and they're not doing this whole identifying health and fitness and things like that to being white exactly um but there are still some of those who are identifying that as white and i just think it's simply not knowing who they are because back in slavery is when this whole soul food thing started we got the scraps Uh and that's when these creative meals were being made Mm -hmm. well now those meals have been passed down through generations right and so a lot of people don't want to give that up Mm -hmm. because it tastes good it feels good yes and they look at and we've adopted it as part of our culture yeah you know this is what we do this is the type of foods that we eat even though it's killing us exactly (laughs) you know when i find ironic i have a childhood friend who criticized me for my lifestyle and yet they at some point in their journey is battling with diabetes and things like that and that's what made me get back into health and fitness Mm. because I was thinking to myself Cassandra you stopped doing this to be accepted by them and they're battling with their own health issues they worse off yes (laughs) like what yeah don't do that to yourself right and so I just I don't know I think we have to learn who we are, connect with that, and educate Mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) How did that come about? You know, the the title of her podcast is Grow Through It. So how did you come up with with the title? And then you can go into how you were inspired to even start a podcast. So I've always wanted to do a podcast, but like a lot of us when you know is on the list somewhere right. like uh-huh. I, i'll get to that later right you know right now i'm trying to work on these other things mm-hmm. um but last year at the end of the year i wrote this blog post um called 2018 isn't over yet and i was talking about how it's not the end it's the end isn't here yet and i think i released that blog post like mid-december maybe yes and I was, and, and it convicted me. <laughs> it, convicted, it convicted me because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, that's how I started my podcast yeah, because it, of your blog post. And that's why I started my podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, go because ahead. What I did was I looked at all the things that I had been wanting to do. I wanted to get back in shape, I wanted to um, build a new regimen, I wanted to. Uh, clean my diet up and eat more healthy. I mm-hmm. wanted to start a podcast. And I started looking at these things. And then I asked myself, well, what am I waiting for? I was like, what, what am I waiting for? What day am I waiting to arrive mm-hmm. to do these things? Mm-hmm. And by the time I wrote that blog post, I had already started 
recommitting myself to my fitness journey and my health journey. By then, I believe I had already lost 15 pounds mm-hmm. by doing that. Mm-hmm. So I was already motivated and already feeling good. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to think, well, what else have I been neglecting? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so random how this title came to me because I was thinking to myself at the time, like, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do a podcast? I don't even know what I'm doing. I was like, I'm just going to have to grow through it. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> And I just, wow. I went with it. I recorded my first episode, posted it, and there you and go. And here we are. <laughs> wow. Because that's, you know, like I said, that's what um, motivated me. Because, again, we, we get in this mindset that we have to wait um, for a clean slate or a fresh start. And I know a lot of people like to do that when the new year is coming up you know well the new year is when i'm gonna lose weight or when i'm gonna love better or when i'm gonna get rid of the oh i read so many facebook posts about getting rid of the haters in your life and the toxic folks why not do that thing right and that there's a statistic that says that only one percent of people stick to their new year's resolution goals one percent if you wow. go to the gym on January 1st, it's flooded. Yes. If you go there <laughs> on January 20th, it dwindles down. January 3rd, it dwindles down. February 15th, by March 1st, it'll be right back to how it was on November 1st. Why do you think? I mean... Because their why is not deep enough. Okay. okay. And I feel like that's why I started and you started your podcast and we did because it's for a deeper reason. Yeah. I think a lot of people do things because it's popular to do it. Oh, mm-hmm. New Year's, I got to set a resolution. Mm-hmm. I think when we do things with a deeper resolve and a deeper why, we tend to stick to those things. Okay. So we going back to um, healing yourself, mm-hmm. doing things to you know take care of yourself and, and heal and get on the other side of your trauma. So this is just you, you know, minding Mm -hmm. your own business. Like you said, figuring out what works for you, realizing some things about yourself Mm -hmm. that you really want to do and enjoy. Um, but put to the side because you wanted to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So when did you decide, okay, I need to take this to a broader audience. I need to share my story to more people. Well, 2017's when Unclothed came out, mm-hmm. but I don't think I was there yet. I don't think I reached where I'm at today till last year because really? I had an experience with an individual who I thought was a friend, and that's when I realized I am done looking for people's acceptance and approval. And if they can't accept and approve of Cassandra as she is, not saying... If I have some toxic ways about me, no, that's not okay. Right. But I knew this individual was doing that whole mean girl thing and competing and all that stuff. And that's when I started to realize that I'm not going to get the acceptance and approval I'm looking for until I give it to myself. And I did that last year. Like, I fully did it. I think 2017, when I released my book, I accepted my story. But I was still figuring out who's Cassandra because I was still attaching myself to people I knew all my life. Mm. I was still letting go of some things. And so I would say last year's when I really got to the place where I really set myself free. Okay. So is that when, uh, be pretty inside 
came about or was no, that? No, Be Pretty Inside actually came out before um, Unclothed. Okay. That was, that was incorporated in 2015. Okay. And that's when I started publicly sharing my story. So I started publicly sharing my story November 2014. Okay, so time. what led up to you saying, okay, I'm going to start talking about this. Other people need to hear what I have to say. Um, I used to work at the detention center here in Springfield and she, I worked with someone who was a pastor. Okay. And when we would pray together at nighttime, we worked on the midnight shift together. Uh-huh. And every time we would hold each other's hands to pray, she would always say that she felt God's presence. Mm. And I thought, she, like me, I'm always, I'm curious, <laughs> but I'm also skeptical. Right. <laughs> and uh-huh. I'm like, she just saying that. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. But then it got to a point where I started believing her. And I was like, well, maybe there is something. Because she would always encourage me. And she would always say, like, she would tell me she could tell a difference in me. I'm changing. And she was like, mm. you got to share your story. You got to help people. You got to share what you're doing. Yeah. And mm. she would always tell me, like, something's different about you. You look lighter. Not lighter as in weight, but spiritually. She mm-hmm. was like, you're, something's happening with you. Like, she could see it. And mm. she was like, you got to share your story. So... I actually went to a woman's group that she had. It was only 10 people there. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I shared my story. It was November really? 2014. So what did that feel like? Were you nervous? I was petrified. I, oh, see. <laughs> what you did afraid, huh? Girl, I've been doing it afraid all this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I remember my hands were shaking. My knees were shaking. I thought my legs were going to buckle from underneath me. Um, mm. My voice was shaky. At one moment, I thought I was going to start crying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did it. And I felt like that a few other times speaking. And each time I do it, I still get nervous before I speak. But it's not like I'm about to have a panic attack like before. Mm-hmm. But... um each time it gets better and better as I build the confidence and I realize that I have something to say and it's valuable and it's helping people. But yeah, that first time it was, whew. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, again, people wait until they have it all together mm-hmm. or until they feel confident enough, you know, to step out and do something. But you're living, you know, you're living proof that regardless of how you're feeling or whether you you know feel prepared or not, that yeah. you should just take the leap and go ahead and do it. Absolutely. Um, and so what and was the res- so many doors? Right. That's what I was going to yeah, ask you. you like, know, what did that do for you? Like, what what has your response been or the response? It has been amazing. Um, you know, that following year, I found it be pretty inside, which is a self esteem movement for teen girls and women mm-hmm. and um it's been incorporated since then and i've been sharing that message with every summer i'm doing something with teen girls and building up their confidence and self-esteem and then um the speaking opportunities i spoke for free for a few years before getting my first paid one and now i'm a paid speaker wow um I followed up and studied up under Lisa Nichols, who is oh, a world-renowned yeah. uh-huh. New York Times best-selling author. So, I right. mean, I, I have really grown in that area. But like you said, you got to take that leap and you got to start somewhere. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not going to look pretty. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be perfect. But what is when you first start And something? it's definitely not going to be comfortable. That's no. what I'm finding out. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable. And you can be uncomfortable for a while. Yes. You know, and I think, again, I think people wait for 
certain things to line up. I don't know. The stars got to be aligned and, and God got to come and visit with trumpet blast angels in the back. <laughs> you know, we look for these signs yes. and things. And like you said, sometimes we just have to do it. We have to do it afraid. We have to do it uncomfortable. We have to do it if it looks messy, mm-hmm. if we look bad in the yeah. process, you know, but I feel like it's during those moments where you get that confirmation somehow, yes. somewhere that you were on the right track. Absolutely. And that's what it sounds Absolutely. like, you know, just listening to you now that people along the way, not that you depended on somebody to validate you and to give you the stamp of approval, but mm-hmm. as you stepped out, you know, it's like God provided people yes. along the way to say, hey, just keep going. Yes. You need to keep sharing. You need yes. to, you know, keep doing that. Absolutely. Okay, so back to being biracial. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you went from a period of time when you were conflicted. Your mom told you um, to to mark black mm-hmm. on the applications <laughs> or school <laughs> records or whatever. She said, you're black, that's it. Yeah. With no explanation, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing that you're experiencing at least more abuse seemingly on your, your from your black family than your white. And mm-hmm. so... If you could share a bit of that journey going from that to just saying, you know what, I'm black and I'm white and Mm -hmm. that's okay. Like, what does that mean to you? Again, especially um, being in Trump's America for now, you know? Um, It's been quite a journey because I remember growing up and it was it was quite evident that neither one of my parents' families approved of them being together. My dad is from Mississippi Uh and um, grew up in the Jim Crow-ism days. Mm -hmm. My aunt always said things like my dad was a traitor for being with a white woman. Um, They said my aunt was like a super advocate and was always... Pro-black. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's my dad's side of the background. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's side, they're from Iowa, a small town, Athens, where there's only white people there, mm-hmm. and farmers, and mm-hmm. so cornfields. <laughs> when I'm talking about the two opposites. So how did they meet? I've been working on getting all those details. Okay, <laughs> maybe that'll be part of your next book. Yeah, because okay. I'm I'm curious about that. I've heard details here and there mm-hmm. um, from people that I know knew them back mm-hmm. then, and mm-hmm. so I've been getting some of that information. But mm-hmm. um, getting them to open up about it has been interesting. Really? So they're not yeah. very forthcoming with their own love my, story. My dad is to a way. He's, okay. he's he's a man of few words. Okay. So he, he'll he talk about certain things, but then when you want to dig in the past, then he'll say something like, well, that's in the past. <laughs> so he's just a private person, there. so to speak. Okay. And I see where I get that from. Okay. Because as transparent and open I am, I'm still a very private person. Wow. Um, so okay. it's interesting how I've been able to find that balance. Okay. So then when people find out, I don't know, do you still feel the pressure to choose a side? Not now, no. Okay. Um, so going back to the it being a journey, when I mm-hmm. minored in Black American Studies, I was angry towards white people. Um, I mean, I traced, I studied 
our culture all the way to the tribes in Africa before slavery even started. That's how deep I got into my studies. My wow. professors were, one of my professors was from Ghana. One of my professors was from Nigeria. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was getting deep rooted mm-hmm. education. Uh-huh. I was angry and I was mad at white people mm. for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, and So did that cause you to just be angry and, and hate a part of yourself? That oh, part yes. of yourself? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I almost went radical on the other end. Um, I would do protests. and uh, I mean, I was... <laughs> Fist raised. My professor used to call me the little... She used to call me little Angela Davis because oh, I was wow. so vocal and so opinionated on campus and in mm-hmm. classes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realize now it's more so the injustices that I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm passionate about any injustice. Mm, yeah. but, um, and I think that's what helped me resolve that hatred I felt because I felt how am I any different from them if I hate them too Ooh, say that again how am I any different from them if I hate them too right and I think that's what helped me to let go of the hatred wow so how can people get in touch with you <laughs> how can people you know you seriously I have her book you guys have to to get her book um yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty open and vulnerable and she really shares um just more way more details of course about her childhood and and what she went through and it's really really refreshing to be in the company of somebody who has literally made it on the other side. You know, Aww. I was born and raised in church <laughs> and it just seemed like somebody was always going through, Ooh, I'm going yeah. through, Ooh, the devil is busy. Ooh, I'm, you know, it was like yeah. trial after trial after trial. And, you know, you shout for victory, yeah. you know, you spin around three times or, you know, late, you know, God's going to do something in the midnight. <laughs> 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 he gonna do something in the midnight hour, you know. And so I was always left with, well, "What he gonna do it?" Yeah, you know. Yeah. But but to but what I'm realizing is that's only part of the story. You yeah. know, we can have the faith, and we can pray, and we can believe God to do things. But there's some work, yes, that we have to do, and it's just refreshing, you know. Again, to meet somebody who has actually done the work, and mm. to and to admit. That it hasn't been easy. Mm-hmm. It hasn't looked pretty. Um, I'm sure you've wanted to quit. Oh, my god! I'm sure you did quit. Just last year, I wanted to shut my website down, deactivate my social media, stop speaking, um, because I was battling with that acceptance thing. There were, There was people who were feeling some type of way. I wasn't viewing myself as elevating and being successful, but they were seeing it. Mm. And I was like, well, if it's going to draw all this negative attention, I just won't do it at all. But Ooh, I, I persevered that. and I endured. And I'm so grateful I did because the doors that have opened since I decided to try one more time. Right. <laughs> it's been amazing. Right. So how can people get in touch with you? Um, I'm on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter. Twitter. Okay. I'm on everything. Um, I also blog. Um, you can find more information on me on my website, www.cassandraaustin.com. 
uh, Cassandra with one S. Yes, Cassandra <laughs> with one S. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always posting on Facebook. Shanoa knows I'm always posting something, whether if it's my personal story mm-hmm. or an opinion I have or a reflection. Um, so there's always some sort of inspirational content. In your Facebook group? Yes, I have uh-huh. a Facebook group, tra- the Transformation Experience Group. And, and this, yeah, go ahead. No, Sorry. It's okay. No, you share. You're in there. <laughs> well, yeah, because again, what I find refreshing is that, you know, I'm up close and personal with mm-hmm. someone who's made it on the other side. And it's just, it's just encouraging. That just means a lot to me. So she's constantly. You know, I think her her your theme right now mm-hmm. is, you know, being being willing to be uncomfortable. Yes. You know, getting out of your comfort zone, yes. finally stepping out and do those things that you have always aspired to do. Yes. And being uncomfortable is a part of it. it I think it's a huge part of it. It is. Um so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook group, The Transformation Experience. Yep. Uh, website www.cassandra with one s austin.com mm-hmm. so where can people find your book where can they buy your book it's on amazon.com it's a prime item if y'all want your free shipping yes <laughs> awesome and um it's on barnesandnoble.com and i believe it's on other platforms but i always say amazon and barnesandnoble.com because those are the more platforms pa- popular platforms okay and again the name of the book is unclothed memoir of a naked soul uh well cassandra oh and i just have to mention you are newly married yes yes it hasn't even been a year yet it hasn't even been a year you still in that honeymoon stage we're gonna stay in the honeymoon all right That's why I keep saying, I'm like, we're going to work on this and stay happy. Okay, so did you marry a white man, a black man? I married a Jamaican descent man. Okay, all right. (laughs) Black man from the islands. Okay, all right. Well, maybe we'll have you back on to talk about what that's been like. You know, just finding love and, and, um, because I'm pretty sure... And I've read a few of your posts that talked about how you're so glad that you took the time to heal yes. and get yourself together yes. before you decided to to want to be married or even yes. start dating again and yeah. that type of thing. So That was a game changer. Okay, well, we'll have to have you back <laughs> then because I want to hear more about that myself. Okay, so thank you guys so much for tuning in. I would like to read... Um, today's I Finally Did It story. Um, this is a personal one for me because I happen to know the person, um, Don Stewart Thomas. Um, she and I were resident advisors together at the University of Cincinnati. And um, I remember Don. I always looked up to her because I thought she carried herself in such a mature way. She always looked like she was about business and that she wasn't about you know, foolishness and and that type of thing. So whether she knew it or not then, I always looked up to her. And we have recently um, reconnected on Facebook. So I was asking people um, on Facebook for a a Finally Did It story. And a mutual friend of ours, Charity Sullivan, nominated her. Oh, you got to get Dawn's story. She has an amazing story. So Dawn uh, submitted her story to me on yesterday. And... um, I would like to read it to you. My name is Don Stewart Thomas, and my I Finally Did It story is about going back to graduate school to obtain my PhD. 
I feel the need to explain my beginnings for you to understand what a blessing this has been for me. I was raised by my single mom who was only 17 years old and my grandparents. My neighborhood, Gruss Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio, was truly a village and everyone helped to encourage the children on our street. My grandmother always told me that each generation should go a step farther. My grandmother was a teacher, bachelor's degree, and my mom was a teacher, master's degree. Therefore, I knew I should go a step farther. I decided to go back to school in 2009, and when I sent in all my information, I totally forgot about taking the GRE and was on a tight schedule to study and take the exam. I remember studying in a hotel room in South Carolina and watching the Obama inauguration and thinking I can do this. Well, guess what? I did horrible on the exam and got the call from the University of Cincinnati that said, sorry, you didn't get in. I was devastated. I had always been able to study and do well, and this came as a shock and hit my ego hard. I told anyone that would listen that I wasn't taking the GRE again, not unless Jesus himself came back, and I was serious about that thing. Fast forward four years later, I had a meeting at UC with one of the professors and told him, one day I am going to have an office next to yours. He told me how he was now in charge of the program and the GRE was no longer required. I got on the elevator with my colleague, also a PhD, and she said, Don, I had no idea you were interested in getting your PhD. She said, my goodness, I have watched you manage a multi-million dollar project. You can definitely do this. Well, I guess Jesus must have come back. I decided to try again and I was preparing my submission. I awkwardly asked a colleague for a reference. I began doubting myself and said, what do I look like going back to school? I will be 50 by the time I am done. He said, well, Don Thomas, you're going to be 50 no matter what. So do you want to be 50 with a PhD or 50 without one? I checked my ego at the door, submitted my packet, was accepted, and started school in 2013. Let me just mention, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and decided to travel to Cincinnati, Ohio, which is two hours for the next four years and worked full time. I had so much love, support, and encouragement from friends and family that I became so focused, prayer, work, school, homework, prayer, work, school, homework. In March 2017, I defended my dissertation and on a rainy afternoon in April 2017, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati and in December 2017, I turned 50. Yep, I finally did it. Well, congratulations. Well, I must say in my quest to figure out how to trim the end of my podcast, I mistakenly cut off some of the episode. So what what I was saying is if you are interested in being featured in my I Finally Did It story segment, please feel free to submit your stories to my email address, ladyalamu at gmail.com. That is L-A-D-Y-A-L-A-M-U at gmail.com. Thank you so much.